Bass Edge Nation. We're about to cross the start line and boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go fishing Bass Edge style. Bass Edge presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Guard your boat against grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete boat ramps. Visit keelguard.com. As mentioned in the intro, Aaron, here we are high above Table Rock Lake going into May, and it is freezing cold outside. What is going on with this weather? You know, here I thought we were going to be diving off into conversations dealing primarily with spawn, post-spawn, but uh, still seems kind of like it might be a little bit of a pre-spawn according to the air temperature. Yeah, there's still a lot of pre-spawn. Spawn up here in this neck of the woods, although down at Amistad, we're definitely moving into the post-spawn, and many other areas of the country are as well. I tell you what, we have an awesome Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight with us today. We've got Jason Christie. This guy has been on a freaking tear as of late. Yeah, it's nice to see him doing well, and I'm sure he's pretty happy, too, the fact that he'd had to find two different banks to deposit those checks into, according to FDIC regulations. <laughs> yeah, those were big checks. Tearing up the White River. Hit a big one at the uh, FLW on Beaver Lake and then went right down the White River chain to Bull Shoals and locked up a big win with the Elite Series there. I tell you what, Aaron, we got a lot to talk about. Let's get this show started. I want to remind all of our Bass Edge listeners to continue to follow us on our Facebook page for good, updated information and also sending in those listener questions as well as we have a Twitter handle, at Bass Edge, and of course, BassEdge.com. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios, high above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. I have to say, out of the 158, 59 episodes that I have been involved with on Bass Edge, I have never quite heard that type of introduction. <laughs> well, Aaron, I tell you what, you know, what's happened to me here is I've gotten into this NASCAR thing, you know, my sponsorship with BK Racing, NASCAR Sprint Cup, so Sunday afternoons, every once in a while, I'm tuning into Fox, checking out the races, and Daryl Waltrip does that crazy intro, which I'm sure we have tons of NASCAR fans as listeners here bass edge so they know right where i'm coming from but that's where it is when they start those big nascar races that's kind of daryl Waltrip's signature line and i thought it'd be fun to add to the show this week so there you have it well it was a great intro and uh, i think we're gonna have to see more of your personality come up and see what kind of crazy introductions that we can come up with of course with our sponsors bass edge sponsors o'reilly auto parts one of the things that we always did in the crowd when we were giving away t-shirts and kind of prizes like that is you know the first person that could actually say or recite the o'reilly jingle actually won some free t-shirts well, I'll tell you what, Aaron, when I was listening to the NASCAR radio show uh, last week or the week before, obviously a lot of auto parts companies involved with NASCAR, and, and that's a great market.
market for them. And O'Reilly Auto Parts, Bass Edge sponsor, a big part of that. They have the most awesome jingle I've ever heard. And oh, oh, O'Reilly's Auto Parts. You have definitely have a, a future in voiceover work, Kurt. Your talents just seem to amaze me. But speaking of talents, I know one of your skills is certainly springtime fishing. And you kind of alluded to it in the introduction concerning this crazy weather that we're having. And I know being from Amistad, you're used to that southern sun that already hits back in February. But now you're up in my neck of the woods and welcome to Missouri weather. Yeah, I'm going to stay out of the karaoke bar for sure. But back to the bass fishing where we need to be for sure. It has been some crazy weather. Being up here in the Ozarks, you can see, you know, last year you mentioned a little bit earlier that we were much farther ahead in, in the springtime fishing. And, and now we're kind of knocked back. And, and I'll tell you what I think this does. It really keeps us as anglers on our toes. We really have to pay attention to these changes because if you're not paying attention to exactly what's going on, water temps, you know, those types of things, you're going to get caught up trying to do something that the fish aren't doing. So important to pay attention and, and especially this year because the spawn is going to move a little bit later. The post spawn is going to move a little bit later and it's really going to give us what I think is an extended spawn to make that fishing really good throughout a longer period of time this spring. Well, two questions I have, I think that we need to address because a lot of anglers, especially in the Midwest, are dealing with is cooler temperatures and then increasing water levels or water levels that are rising during the spawn. That's normally something just from a sheer conservation standpoint that you don't like to see is large fluctuations in water levels. But give me your thoughts on how those two things impact our days on the water. Particularly first with the rising water, the fish are wanting to get shallow. They need that sunlight to spawn. So they're going to continue to move as shallow as the water allows them. Because quite frankly, the lifeblood to the process of spawning is sunlight. You know, they need that sunlight for the development of the fry and just the evolution of life from egg to adult bass. So they're going to stay shallow and be shallow and continue to be up there. And then conversely, obviously you got this rising water. So you might be dealing with some falling water as well once it starts receding. And uh, that really becomes a little bit tougher situation. And uh, those fish get very skittish and you really need to slow down. So I would say those are the two biggest tips. But when the water's coming up, get up there, get after it and get in that thick cover because the bass are going to be in there. Well, and then we look at, you know, the, the temperature fluctuations, obviously cold fronts, things like that. But Kurt, I firmly believe you've got increase in daylight, which is also known as the scientific term of the photo period. That really drives the spawn. Water temperatures drives the spawn. So really what the air temperature is doing, as long as you're kind of out of that Florida strain of bass, I don't know that temperature swings have too much of an impact because they're so short-lived. They're short-lived. I do think that if it's a real strong temp impact where you get that four, five, or six degree drop, you know, that's going to really jog them off. But if it's only a couple degrees, probably not going to move them off too bad. But I'll tell you what, we've got Jason Christie getting ready. He's getting on the phone right here. Let's dial him in and see what he's got to say about his couple of big wins that he's had and some fish in the post-spawn in May. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. 
For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Well, Aaron, as we alluded to earlier, we are featuring another Bass Edge newcomer during the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, who is the ideal candidate for raising our bass fishing GPA, as he is a former educator and coach, an Oklahoma angler that's made a, I would say, huge splash, but I'm not sure that's giving you enough credit on the national tours as of the last couple of years. He's won two Opens just last month. He won two major national tour tournaments. Welcome, Jason Christie. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you guys let me be on. Uh, it's a pleasure, Jason. And, you know, you not only received an education and coaching degree from Northeastern State in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, you also went there on basketball scholarships. How did your education, athletic involvement, and really campus life prepare you for your life now as a professional angler? I would say most of all, just the competitive of playing basketball. I think once you're born a competitor, you want to compete until the end. I mean, you see some of these guys that are retired athletes and stuff that, you know, they play checkers and they don't like to lose and and that's one of the things that I think pushes me is you know I'm in a sport that you're going to lose a lot more than you're going to win but we still don't like it and uh, I think that prepared me more than anything was the athletic part. Well actually Jason I used to play a little basketball I never played in college but uh, you know Aaron and I have had the conversation of collegiate fishing and many times in the role that it would have played in our academics. What is your take on bass fishing at the college level? level, does it help or hurt the student and our sport? I want to put it to you this way. If they would have had college fishing, I don't know if I would have played basketball because I think my college <laughs> coach said it best. If he didn't fish and deer hunt, he would be a great, great player. So, you know, I spent a lot of time in the outdoors. You can look at it as that fishing, college fishing may be hurting the student, but I look at it as there's some kids that probably wouldn't stay in college if it weren't for the fishing. That's how I was in high school and in high school it was the basketball you know if you don't offer some of these kids something that they are really really interested in you know they lose interest and they lose the reason to do good in academics and I'm sure that a lot of these college teams have minimum GPA to compete in the fishing and and uh, I look at it from the positive standpoint that it keeps kids that love the outdoors it gets them involved and gives them something to shoot for in college. Well, Jason, you're exactly right. I mean, I just had the conversation the other day with an individual. He's going on some sort of a fishing scholarship that, you know, he's one of those individuals that had he not had that outlet, probably would not be seeking higher education. So could not agree with you more. You know, one of the things that although bass fishing is relatively an individual sport, we all know that there is a tremendous amount of support from family, your wife, Amy, your sponsors, etc. How did the early days of fishing with your dad and uncles contribute to where you are today? That's at the foundation. I really had an unfair advantage over a lot of people because at an early age, I mean, I had five or six, you know, my dad and my uncles that were very good fishermen slamming knowledge down my throat early. And I feel like at the age of 14 or 15, you know, I pretty much knew how a bass in three foot of water or less 
acted, how they, you know, flipping and spearbaiting was the deal. About that time, 16, 17, when Mark Davis and David Fritz were catching them offshore, and I started playing with that some to keep the interest level high. But those guys that taught me early, I would not be sitting here talking to you had those guys not only taught me, but they got me interested and uh, gave me the love for that, for the outdoors. When I say the outdoors, they hauled me around fishing, man, and they hauled me around deer hunting, and that's just what we did. Our family, my mom, I mean, we all did it. So I've won a lot of tournaments with my mom as well. So it wasn't just, you know, it was everybody. That's just what we did. That's pretty awesome. It shows through your success here in the last several years and all the attributes that you brought to the sport, really. You know, every time I've seen you win here in the last couple months, you know, you've got your family with you, which is awesome. And um, really being able to shadow a family member like you did in the early days with your dad and your uncles, it's really priceless. What advice can you give to those whose dads or family members don't have a boat or possibly aren't interested in the sport? How can they adopt a mentor that will help their bass fishing education? You know, I'm sure there's always some out there that has a boat that loves to fish like we did that uh, is interesting. You know, some of the funnest days I have now is coming home and going fun fishing and taking somebody that doesn't get to go fishing a lot or not at a real high level and teaching them. I mean, I almost like to see people catch fish more than I do. You know, I recently took my wife fishing and we hadn't been fishing together in a few years. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I watched her just smoke them. It was a lot of fun. And I do that with friends and old colleagues and stuff like that. But I just say, you know, if you don't have a mentor, find somebody, you know, that has a boat. And usually all you have to do is, man, I'll help you. I'll split the gas with you and we go fishing. And I bet you you find a fishing partner then. But, you know, I did a lot of fishing early without a boat. I mean, walking the bank and wading creeks. I mean, you don't have to be in a 50,000-acre lake to learn. I mean, you can learn just as good walking the bank and fishing creeks and things like that. Yeah, that's one you mentioned. I just got a couple texts from a buddy of mine that lives up in New York and he's been bank fishing lately because, you know, he's not out of boat. And I called him and we started talking about it. He said, you know what? I kind of lost the enjoyment, you know, because with the boats and everything else, there's so much stuff going on. You got your electronics. You're trying to emulate a lot of different educational aspects that you receive through boat positioning and all these different things that go with having a boat. But man, just hitting the bank, that's as pure as it gets. And uh, right. I think a lot of time we forget about that. Right. I do want to mention, too, about getting kids involved. There's so many different camps and, and things that people are doing. You know, obviously at the FLW events, they have uh, a big shindig that goes on during those things where kids can get involved with fishing and catch trout and do a lot of different things. I've started a uh, youth fishing camp down at Lake Amistad where we take, you know, 20 kids and, and go fishing for four or five days. I think Chris Lane, I've heard, does a, a big one-day camp over at Lake Gunnersville. So, you know, getting online and just for our listeners, checking a lot of those types of opportunities out there. There is a lot of stuff. And really what Jason says brings, you know, bass fishermen, I think, in general are good people. And, and they want to take people fishing. And they have such a passion for this sport that they want to share it. Just speaking up, I think, will play a big role in, in getting some people out there to uh, fish with somebody. So that's that's great information. You know, I uh, I got a little spill here. Winning a tournament or doing good in a tournament gives you a feeling that, I mean, you can't buy. I mean, that's why we all do it. But taking somebody fishing, you know, like in a few days, I have a fishing trip scheduled with uh, 60 second graders. We're all going to go fish on a pond and, you know, just have a fun day of fishing. And those kind of days give you a feeling that's even better than doing good in a tournament. And I suggest that everybody that fishes and, you know, just at least pick one day a year and do something like that, whether it's in the school 
school like I'm doing or in the church or something, just take some kids fishing because if you take 20 or 30 kids fishing, you're going to get four or five, ten maybe hooked on uh, or interested in fishing, and that might keep them out of harm's way, trouble anyway. Well, that's probably better advice than what we could ever talk about here uh, as far as raising a skill level is to share that skill with somebody else and, and really change generations to come is the way that I see it, Jason. And, you know, most anglers are success driven. And, you know, I think that does serve a lot of us well. But because we are, you know, really in a sport that is quantitatively measured and, you know, the technology, uh, even the bass and the competition themselves are evolving at a pretty breakneck pace, you know. Talk to us on how you measure success as well as how new anglers should grade their performance on the water without becoming overly frustrated. You know, I've had tournament finishes where I've finished 40th and 50th and I felt like I had a successful tournament. And then I've had tournaments where I've finished 10th and I felt like I wasn't successful. It's all about preparation. You know, if I go into a tournament and I'm practicing, I'm just having a horrible practice and I can't get anything figured out and I do enough to get a good check and get some good points and I finish 40th or 35th, that's a successful tournament for me. And then, you know, some days if I'm really, really on them, I expect to, you know, finish towards the top. And if I don't, then it's not successful. But successful day of fishing is going out, bringing five back, and hopefully it's the biggest five that you can catch. You know, if you go out and you don't lose any and you had a fun day, to me, that's a successful day. Because a lot of times, the difference between winning and fifth place is one bite. You know, somebody might catch a seven-pounder and beat you. And those things, you know, you really can't control. They just happen. So everybody's success is a different level. And just as long as you're having fun and learning every day, I think it's a successful thing. Well, Jason, we need to take a quick break here and pay a few bills. But when we return, we'll be talking post-spawn as well as answer a listener question. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. We are back on Bass Edge Radio, and this segment of the show is brought to you by Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oil to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements, visit lucasoil.com. It works. Well, we're here at the beginning of May. Uh, Post-spawn bass can be a little fickle. And quite honestly, there's probably still some spawners out there the way this weather's been going. These post-spawn fish that we're going to get going here in May, they're just playing hard to catch, Jason, sometimes. Explain post-spawn for us, what that means for our listeners, as well as what the fish typically do and where they go. Usually what I believe happens is these fish come up to spawn, and there's a time period, a week to two weeks after they do that, that they're just tired. They're wore out they're beat up you know it's been a long couple of weeks for them and what they do is they just kind of get in a real fickle mood they don't want to eat a lot of times real spooky they're just really in a rest mode and one of the things that mother nature gives the fish a lot of times in most lakes 
about this time is the shad spawn, and that's whenever the fish get back active, they go to eating, and you can really, really catch them. But, you know, one of the things that will surprise a lot of people is how deep these post-spawn fish go to do this. I mean, I really believe that the two to three weeks after the spawn is the deepest you're going to find fish throughout the year. Around here, it's May. I catch them deeper in May than I do in June or July or August, and I think they just get out there and they, you know, they're in a rest mode, but they're still grouped up. That's whenever they start grouping up to size and developing those summertime schools, but every lake's different, of course. You know, a lot of times the finesse tactics are better, and the topwaters are always great, but I really start looking when the spawn's over for a shad spawn, and that's the thing going to the tournament in Georgia next week that I'm going to be looking for is some sort of shad spawn going on because that will be the earliest big feeding frenzy that you have. When you're looking for the shad spawn and some of these deeper areas that you're talking about, what kind of areas are you looking for? Are you looking for soft clay banks or wood or rock? What kind of things are you looking for to find that shad spawn? And then secondarily, what are two or three of your top baits to present to those types of fish? The best way to find a shad spawn for me is you want to be out there early. That's the main thing. The shad spawn is usually the first couple of hours of the morning, and I usually want to spawn on something hard, being a rock, a log, a dock, anything. I've seen them spawn on lawn chairs that were blown off docks. A really good giveaway is the birds. I mean, you can drive down the lake and you'll not see a bird, you'll not see a bird, and all of a sudden you'll look on a bank over there and you'll see a 100-yard stretch where there's six or seven birds. These birds are telling you that there's a shad spawn going on there. One of the baits I use, all depends on water color, is, you know, if the water's off color, I'll use like a booyah, spinnerbait, shad color, of course, and then if it's a little clear, like a money man hose, you know, just like on a jig head where uh, you don't want to be real slow with it, you want to throw it up on the bank and I like to parallel and get really really tight because a lot of the action happens right up next to the bank but I've seen them spawn in patches of hydrilla on Guntersville and those same bait work but the key is is finding that early a lot of times in the shad spawn you're going to catch what you're going to catch in the first couple of hours well, Jason, how are you determining if you're presenting the bait using a bait that's presented horizontal in the water column or higher in the water column versus one that's maybe more bottom related? Watching these shad spawn, everything's up really, really high. And the biggest problem that you'll see fishing a shad spawn is you're competing against thousands of shad, you know, in an area. People say you want to match the hatch and have the same color and stuff like that. In a shad spawn, I usually try to stay away from that because you want to have something a little different, something for them to key on. And I'll usually go a lot bigger than the shad that I'm seeing. I'll go uh, pretty different color, you know, a chartreuse thrown in there or something like that. But, you know, you want to make those fish really observe and see your bait and, and hopefully you can catch them. One more thing on the shad spawn, you mentioned the birds, but let's say there's, you know, obviously they're spawning all over the lake. Are you just using your boat and your trolling motor to get up around these areas early in the morning and look for those types yep. of activities? Yeah, you can visually see it. They'll be right in the bank. I mean, they'll be up in most cases a foot or two of water and you'll just see hundreds of them and the thing about it is, is you can go there at 11 o'clock and you won't see any so the shad spawn usually happens at night but it carries on the first couple of hours of low light in the morning so that's why it's key to get out there early and uh and find that and then probably too, just be aggressive you know move around quickly yeah. our listeners they, they want to be sure that they don't pull
pull up on one piece of riprap or one log, and if they see it or don't see it, and fish that area for too long. You know, if it's not happening, get back in the driver's seat, move areas, look at other areas on the lake that will have that, you know, potential, and hop around real quick. Because like Jason says, it's going to happen quick, and you need to move quickly in order to be able to find it, and then you can reproduce it day after day after day. Absolutely. Well, good stuff, Jason. But we are certainly at my favorite part of the show when we award a lucky listener $100 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts for this week's listener question as it comes from Derek Hutchins. And Derek wants to know at about what water temperature do bass start to move from their spawning areas to their summer patterns? Again, that is from Derek Hutchins. That's a really broad question as far as the answer goes. I've seen bass come in and spawn at 55 to 56 degrees. And a lot of times the females, as soon as they spawn, they head out to their resting area, you know, usually a secondary point or something like that. But I would say a safe bet to really start fishing summertime patterns would be water temperature being between 70 and 75. You'll still have a lot of fish up shallow that time of year, but your bigger fish, I really believe, especially by 75 degrees, are starting to group up on the, you know, like the offshore structure and grass beds and things like that. Great answer. Jason, thanks for allowing Derek that information. He needs to get out deep at 75 degrees. So, Derek, thanks for having your question chosen for the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question segment. O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. Derek, simply send us an email and let us know that you heard your question answered on the show by Jason, along with your mailing address, and we'll get that $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card sent out just as soon as possible. And a reminder to all Bass Edge listeners, include your shipping address when you send in your listener question to support at BassEdge.com or post on the Bass Edge Facebook page or utilize our Twitter at Bass Edge for your chance to win a $100 gift card from O'Reilly Auto parts. Well, Jason, it's certainly been a pleasure having you on the show today. Any closing thoughts or comments before we shut it down? No, everything's been good. I appreciate you guys letting me on the show, and my last word would be uh, everybody take a kid fishing the next month or two, and it'll make your life a lot better. Well, that is certainly great advice. Best of luck in the rest of your year. You're off to a tremendous start. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerful is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerful deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerful won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit powerpole.com. Find a dealer near you. Hey, everybody. I'm Glenn Brown, and you're tuned into Bass Edge Radio. 
Well, having Jason Christie as a member of the Bass Edge family is really great. It was nice for him to be able to check in with us and give our listeners some more insight on just what kind of a guy he is and what kind of angler he is. And, and then also, we just started touching into some awesome post-spawn fishing tips and techniques. Aaron, I'm really interested to hear what kind of post-spawn techniques do you like to utilize? You know, it's funny you bring that up, Kurt, because I really view the post-spawn as far as the areas that I'm looking for very similar to the areas that I'm targeting for pre-spawn. I firmly believe there are highways or traffic routes that bass use on their way in and out of the spawning pockets. And yes, that is kind of the pinnacle or the great time of year where all the fish move in on the banks. But I also believe that the large concentrations are using these staging areas. One of my favorite techniques to employ only because of the area that I live in is going to be vertical structure adjacent to deep water where it comes up on those spawning flats right into the entrance but a lot of those areas you know have some sort of drop off bluff end but also normally have some pole timber or some standing timber or trees or structures if they have a dock that's even better because it's going to provide shade but i just think kurt that much like jason said those bass they are not feeling well you know they've just went through a very stressful traumatic process and so rather than having to swim long distances to find that comfort level to move up and down they just simply drop off the ends and they're moving up and down they can relate to that pole timber or that dock that's hanging off the end adjacent to that deeper water bait fish is coming by so they have comfort they have security and they have their food chain Aaron, when you're targeting those specific areas that you're just talking about what kind of lures do you like to implement one of my favorite techniques is going to be throwing a swim bait and that could mean with a paddle tail you know something that you're reeling very slow i think slow is the key thing because the bass are very lethargic they're not willing to give chase they want that easy meal also as you well know you know just twitching that fluke something that's kind of wounded resembling to where it's going to be an easy meal for that bass if i do find that there's a dock or some pole timber i don't hesitate to flip a jig and just let that a lighter jig just kind of fall down through that maybe something that you know is going to resemble a bluegill or a perch or or some sort of sunfish type brim that they can just reach out and grab that sounds right along some of the same things that I would use in that situation. I think one of the key things for our listeners to pick up there was you were talking about some lighter and slower moving stuff because those fish are tapped out basically due to the spawning process that they're not going to be moving real fast. Their strike zone isn't going to be real wide and, and you utilizing those uh, slower moving baits and, and some of the lighter presentation really helps in getting more contact, more strikes from the fish that particular time of year because of their laziness, as you might say. Conversely, when I go to attack a lake, and one of my favorite techniques is really fishing big, long, flat, extended points. I particularly like those places because I think when the fish are completed their spawn on the bank, their move away from the bank is slow. So, you know, certainly at times they're going to be able to utilize some quick drops and those types of covers. But I think when you find a long, flat point that's adjacent to spawning flats, those fish will just slowly start to migrate into that deeper water as the water temperature starts to increase. So uh, that's one of my favorite types of structure to concentrate on that time of year. When you're you're targeting those points, you know, are you throwing a Carolina rig? How are you attacking that? And talk to me a little bit about boat positioning on those because as you well know, Kurt, some of these long points that, that you're out there looking on, I mean, it can be a little intimidating as far as trying to find that 
sweet spot on that point. Yeah, a lot of times, Aaron, you start working these places and you start getting people thinking that you're a weird guy because you're out there off in the middle of the lake. You're not near the bank or anything, but it's not necessarily that you're out there in the middle of the lake where it's really deep. You know, you're out there in the middle of the lake where it's still pretty shallow. But I do like to use the Carolina rig. I think a slow, methodical presentation like that is really good. The second one I like to use is topwater lures. You know, even though the fish aren't moving a lot, this is really to me a kind of a morning thing. And then throughout the day, when they do feed, I think the feeding times are smaller and they don't use as much exertion to feed. But if you can pinpoint, like you were talking about, that little sweet spot, you know, maybe a little bit of extra gravel on the end of that point, or maybe where it transitions from clay to chunk rock or something small that's a little bit different where those fish feel comfortable and they really set up on. And even some areas out there where you might find some of those, like Jason was talking earlier in our interview about shad spawning, you know, some of those shad will spawn out there on those flat points too. So a lot of those little things can take place and and really make a sweet spot out of a big, long, flat point. And again, that Carolina rig and topwater are two ways that I really like to hit those up. And then quickly, do you ever employ buoy markers? Because I know sometimes those long, flat points can seem like a very, very vast area. How important is once you find the fish to stay on that particular area? Yeah, Aaron, buoy markers are critical. I think a lot of anglers forget about those these days. They've got GPS and they can hit a waypoint and um, then all of a sudden they think that, oh, well, all they got to do is look at their Larance unit or Humminbird or whatever it is that they're using and cast. But really, it's, sometimes it can be such a specific little spot that you need those marker buoys. The wind's going to be blowing you around at times. So, you know, being able to dial it in, that's really critical. And that's a great tip, you know, to use buoy markers in those situations, especially when you're out there so far away from the bank. Even though you've got GPS, there's nothing as pinpointed as a marker sitting right next to your trolling motor. Aaron, this has been an awesome episode. And, uh, it's been great to be able to talk about some post-spawn fish, and we're moving along into the year. And I tell you what, Jason Christie was an awesome angler to talk to. Here at Bass Edge, we get the best of the best, the cream of the crop all the time, and it's good to be a part of. But this is a wrap for episode 159. Obviously, again, thanking our guest, Jason Christie, and most importantly, thanking you, the listeners. For Aaron Martin, I'm Kurt Dove. Have a great week, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.